FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's up, everybody? We are back for another week of the Grizzlies Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Barnes. We're here with your Grizzlies beat writer, Michael Cole. We are both still trying to recover from last night's thrilling Grizzlies win, 134-124 over the Brooklyn Nets. A historic game, actually. And if you read DeMichael's story uh, this morning, as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, you'll see why it was historic. Uh, DeMichael, tell the people just kind of like as we are, you know, removed from that game, what did you think about just overall your impressions of that game, the history, the historic nature of it? Um, just what did you think about what we saw last night at FedEx Forum? It was, Evan, it was just some next-level skill shot-making. Uh, and and what stood out to me, I mean, of course, the historic factor, if you haven't checked out, you know, the story at commercialappeal.com, you had four players in a non-overtime game scored more than 35 points. First time in NBA history. That is That is completely mind-blowing to me. Uh, that it's happened three times. I think the most recent was 1983, three previous times, and all of those games were overtime games. This this game, you had 38 from John Morant, 38 from Desmond Bain, 37 from Kevin Durant, and 37 from Kyrie Irving as well. And what stood out to me the most as I was getting to is the fact that each player kind of had their moment. There was none of them were pretty much like consistently scoring throughout the entire game, maybe outside of John Morant. But even he was kind of overshadowed in the second half by Desmond Bain. So John Morant, first quarter, scores 15 points. Pretty good. Kevin Durant almost went the entire second and third quarters without missing. I think he had a stretch of 10 consecutive shots made. He was 14 of 17 from the field at one point. And most of that work was done uh, from late in the second quarter to the third quarter. In the third quarter, Kevin Durant had 17 points. So then Desmond Bain, third quarter, 19 points. Kyrie Irving, 21 points in the fourth quarter. So it's like each player had their own individual moment, and it really kept the game just interesting. It wasn't like it was a duel of just two guys going at it for four quarters. Every quarter, someone just stepped up to the show. Yeah, it it was just incredible. It was you watch it in the moment, you may not realize it because you're just kind of watching the game and you're like, oh, wow, this is great. You're watching great players play. But then you step back and you realize we watched one of the most intriguing high scoring games in terms of like individual players in NBA history. Like you said, the last time it happened was that great 1983 game, the highest scoring game in NBA history where the Nuggets and the Pistons were, uh, I believe it was 186, 184 and triple overtime. So the fact that you had four guys score over 35 points in a regulation game, um, that's impressive. And again, you, you marvel at just the high level of basketball we're witnessing right now around the league. You know, Ja, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving are already spoken for as great scorers. Desmond Bain breaking out of his early season mini slump just torched the Nets in the uh, in the third quarter and then having a 32-point second half, I believe which almost tied his career high just from that. His career high previously was 34, and he had 32 and a half. It was, it was scintillating. It was all the adjectives you would use to describe great basketball. And 
it, it, it was just really, really fun just to watch. And again, I, I put this on Twitter. I hope everyone who went or watched save your memories because it's 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 a game that will be remembered for a while to kind of just show just the high level of offense we have in this league and on these two teams. So, um, DeMichael, I want to ask you, speaking of Kevin Durant, I mean, besides the way he put up numbers, uh, he put up some great praise for Ja before the game. We saw, uh, I think ESPN, I believe, reported it. And then after the game, you know, I asked Kevin Durant a couple of questions about, you know, Ja, and he went on this great tangent about Ja being you know, one of the faces of the league being so marketable because kids are going to, you know, follow what he does. Uh, you know, we've seen Ja get this kind of praise around the league, but just to hear that praise as, as you know, Ja's having some things coming up, you know, for his own brand in the future. What do you think that says, again, when you have elder states from the league like Durant just constantly find ways to praise what Ja's doing? Man, it, it, it speaks volumes, you know, it's, it's different when you you hear praise just around the league of players who, you know, compliment Ja and things like that. But when it's Kevin Durant, arguably one of the three most influential players, you know, over the past decade among the active players, it's it's you know, it's different. It is completely different. And and you look at the things he was saying about John ja Morant. Right. He was talking about how kids will lev- levitate to him. Um how you know his markability and and things like that and all of that is what kevin durant experienced that's 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 the funny i mean not the funny but that's just the amazing part of it because you look at even with them both being nike athletes and and i remember you know as a kid growing up in memphis when the kevin durant sneaker and markability wave kind of took off after he got his deal you know, after the 2007 season when he got his deal with Nike and basically his markability took off from that point on. And that's why you go to Grizzlies games and we went to this, you know, this past Grizzlies games. You have people mm-hmm. there an hour, hour and a half before the game with big posters just to see, you know, Kevin Durant. And so that's why when he says it, it's it's different because he, he experienced it. He's went through it. He was that guy in 2008 and 2009 who had that newfound marketability and and was the guy that all the younger people gravitated to and all the things he said about Morant. He has experienced that. Definitely. And again, I want to just share this quote again to kind of put this in a way. Kevin Durant said this when I asked him the question. He's the most marketable guy in our league, the face of our league going forward. And to Michael, you know this well. You know, they don't say that a lot about Memphis Grizzlies players, but it speaks to what Ja did last year, what he did as a rookie. And really how he's become this incredibly magnetic force. I mean, you were there when he showed up at the, uh, what was it? The um, the court renovations, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and all, all the, the kids who gravitated toward him. Your, your excellent story about that. That's the kind of stuff that makes Ja more fascinating than just, you know, him being this great player. Is that he is this almost like cult hero phenomenon who's also now becoming this superstar on a superstar trajectory to where He's now going to be more marketable than ever when this shoe comes when, you know, when this shoe comes out. And I I'm excited. I'm excited to see what that's going to do for him, what it's going to mean to to Memphis, to kids all over the country. Um, but it says a lot again when you have elder statesmen like Kevin Durant and and Kyrie Irving too. I, we didn't put this in our story, but Kyrie Irving basically said when I asked him when somebody asked him about Ja, um, he said. Jaw's an incredible student of the game. He takes his craft very seriously. He shows it night in, night out. 
Um, he made it the point this year to want to get better. Um, he's proven he wants to prove this year. He wants to make teammates better. And Kyrie Irving said it's basically an honor to compete against him. And I look forward to competing against him every night when they play. That just speaks to the respect of where this team is now, where the Grizzlies are national. They were national last year. They're going to stay national this year. Um, and it's going to be fun to watch how more and more people see John Morant. And it's not just going to be that they're talking about him. It's what they're saying about him, how he has become this talking point around the league to where if he does or says anything, you guys know we're going to be covering it and writing about it. So um, it's special. It's very, very special. And it's different. I mean, it's like you said, this is this is something Memphis, you know, a megastar like this. Memphis has had great players. Memphis had Pal Gasol. You know, Allen Iverson made a pit stop, you know, <laughs> uh, through here. But I mean, even, you know, Zach Randolph, Mike Conley, uh, the list goes on. Um, we've had exciting players. Lorenz, Lorenzen Wright was a number one pick, Memphis native, you know, and, and you know, prepped here. So. We've had, you know, those players that the city naturally gravitates to. But the thing about Ja is when you go to Madison Square Garden, like I did last year, and they say his name in the intros, he's getting cheers. When you go to <laughs> Barkley Center, they're chanting MVP. When you go down to Orlando at the Amway Center, they're chanting MVP uh, during the game for him on the road. Uh, that's something that we haven't seen uh, before. And it speaks to his markability. You know, it speaks to, you know, his national relevance and, you know, making an all-star game and starting an all-star game over a player like Luka Doncic, who we know is one of the most, you know, uh, national players in our game right now because of his relevance, you know, overseas. So I think that just says a lot about Ja, his 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 um, relatability and the fact that he's available. You know, we you talked about those moments where you see him you know, being visible to the fan base. How about after that open practice, you know, mm -hmm, uh, a couple mm -hmm. weeks back when mm -hmm. he comes out, he comes out, you know, the parking garage unplanned. Uh, the Grizzlies staff and, and no one had any parts in setting this up. Uh, it was just something that he wanted to do. And he, he gets out of his car and, you know, he's taking pictures with the fans and, and you know, just interacting with them. And it's moments that like that those fans will remember forever. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's switch gears for a minute. Kind of, we thought now we thought this upcoming point was going to be a, a key moment in the game, uh, but the Grizzlies got Dylan Brooks back last night. Came back from his uh, brief stint on the uh, injury list. He is back, um, but the debut was kind of a uh, kind of a quiet performance for Dylan Brooks, if you will. He had uh, he shot just I believe. Uh, hold on here. Yep, two of thirteen. Only had four points in twenty four minutes. However, I will. I'm going to point this out. He did have two fouls, I believe, in the first two minutes, and he only had one foul the rest of the game. Now, granted, the Grizzlies were definitely trying to bring him along and ease him into it, but that's encouraging that Dylan Brooks, you know, obviously, well, you know, very excited to be back, did what he usually does, got those quick fouls, but he was able to kind of temper that a little bit. But the shooting didn't wasn't as there as it's been before. So, um, DeMichael, I want to just ask, you know, you were down courtside. One, what did you see out of Dylan Brooks coming back and two what does this mean now going on the going with the Grizzlies being on the road for the next few games having him back man Dylan Brooks is is Dylan Brooks he's the villain he's the antagonist he's all those things and you saw it I mean you know I, I wrote about it in the story of uh, you can go check it out on commercialappeal.com about Dylan Brooks being 
pissed off, you know, going into this game. Well, why, why would he be pissed off? Well, you got to remember, Dylan Brooks is a guy who I've talked to people, you know, whether it be on the coaching staff or just his teammates and things like that. He only knows one speed. This is a 100% all the yep. time type guy. So when he had this left thigh soreness, you know, come up and he was questionable, you know, going into that Mavericks game and he was doubtful of the first two games of the season. They were having to hold him back, Evan. Uh, don't think for a minute that Dylan Brooks <laughs> did not want to play. Dylan Brooks wanted to play and they had to hold him back. So that's why when he got in this game, he said it. He said, look, I, I think I was a little bit too amped up and he records two fouls in the first two minutes, takes a shot. And, you know, but once he settled down, you saw the normal Dylan Brooks moments. You saw him have the situation with Kevin Durant. They both pick up the technical fouls and they're going at it. But here's something I wanted to add. A lot of people see the 2 of 13 shooting, right? Yep, that's that's mm-hmm. ugly numbers. There's no mm-hmm. way to hide that. Th- those numbers were ugly. And look, at the end of the day, he's he's got to shoot better than 2 of 13 to, to continue to, you know, get the role that they want him to have. So 2 of 13 is bad. But here's what a lot of people didn't realize, unless you go back and watch the game, or it's here's what I saw, Evan. Tell him. Tell him. And, and that. In that third quarter, Dylan Brooks was hounding Kevin Durant, hounding him. There was one position in particular that comes to mind where Kevin Durant was begging for the ball, had his hand up, wanted the ball, and Dylan Brooks is just pushing him off the block, fighting for position. And Ben Simmons didn't feel comfortable throwing the ball. So Ben Simmons didn't have you know a passing lane to throw the ball. So he looks to the other side where Kyrie Irving is, and he doesn't know where to go with the ball, so he just throws it to Kyrie Irving. And I think Steven Adams was the one who tipped it, and it resulted in a turnover. So that goes down as a steal for someone else, but that play started because Dylan Brooks was hustling, and he didn't just cave in to, yeah, here, let Kevin Durant get the ball, and I'll just play defense after he has the ball. He was doing his work before Kevin Durant got the ball, and it resulted in a turnover. And here's another thing. 21 of Kevin Durant's 37 points were scored while Dylan Brooks was on the bench. In particular, how about this third quarter? Uh, Dylan Brooks played from the 12-minute mark of the third quarter to mm-hmm. 6.24. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant only had two points in that stretch. From 6.24 to the rest of the to the end of the third quarter, Durant scored 15 points. Mm. The impact was there, Evan. Uh, it's it, it it wasn't apparent because it's, it's as you know, some people may have wanted it to be because of the 2 or 13 shooting, but he made an impact. And I know Kevin Durant scored 37, but again, as you can tell by those numbers, it could have been way worse. Yeah, it absolutely could have been. And I think what makes it so fascinating to me is, um, you know, Dylan Brooks is going to be fine. Like, he'll have games like that, and we all know Dylan Brooks is going to have games like that. But he'll also have games where he'll shoot Memphis into victory. He'll have games where he gets – on fire and gives you that great defensive plays. So I don't think anyone's going to make any judgments off one game. But like you said, I think it was those the energy he brings. You know, we've heard Taylor Jenkins since he got here, basically call um, Dylan Brooks the spirit leader of the team, and that says a lot. Just what he means with his energy. And so I think it was a it was a a, a tough first game shooting wise. But if you meant as you mentioned defensively, he brought the intensity. He he the guy I'm sure fed off of that. You know, the to to a man. You know, the players have always said that they appreciate having a Dylan Brooks be that guy who's going to be that dog. Like, he'll be that guy who will 
rev up the crowd. He'll get the double technical with Kevin Durant, as we saw yesterday. Um, but I think it's going to be important for Dylan Brooks to to have that balance where he's going to have to, you know, produce as he's done before, which he will. Um, it's going to be important for him to um, be that defensive uh, lead dog because, again, the Grizzlies could use that defense. Um, but it, having him back is going to be very key for how this season goes because, again, he is in a contract year, but the Grizzlies do know that when Dylan Brooks is at his best, Dylan Brooks has performed in the playoffs. He's performed late in season when you need buckets. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see. But for now, um, the Grizzlies, you know, how many games do they have on the road coming up, uh, DeMichael? Four. Four, four. four big games on the road, two two against the Jazz sandwiched in the middle. But they start off with the Kings, uh, which I think is going to be a big game. The Kings are, you know, De'Aaron Fox, Monte Sabonis, they have a nice little core there uh, in Kevin Herter. They picked up, you know, from the Hawks. And then they end uh, that four-game stretch going against the Portland Trailblazers, who at this point are – Portland is 4-0. and So uh, some interesting games coming up. And, I, I mean, the records might not tell the full stories on these teams. That's exactly because it's still early and everyone's figuring themselves out. So having Dylan Brooks in your back pocket will be absolutely key for the Grizzlies. And speaking of the bench – um, how, how important is it going to be? Do you think we, you know, obviously you, you saw how the road, you know, the road wasn't kind when the Grizzlies were in Dallas, how important is it going to be to have Dylan Brooks with his fresh, you know, granted, he's still working his way back, but having his fresh legs and energy, how important is that going to be on the road as the Grizzlies continue to, you know, develop this bench, you know, while they're waiting for, you know, Jaron and Zaire to get back? Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge, right? Because the thing, the thing is, this lengthens, you know, uh, the roster. This lengthens the bench. And the Grizzlies had gotten to the point in those last couple games, it, it became a nine-man rotation. We talked about how Taylor Jenkins is real firm on wanting to play 10 guys at this point yep. of the season. Uh, he wants to play 10 guys, and Xavier Tillman wasn't producing at the level, uh, I think, that, that he wanted him to produce at. And they kind of were relying on the two rookies, uh, Tyce Jones and Brandon Clark. Now you have John Conchar. You can move back to that second level, and it goes back to now you have 10 guys who they're playing now and getting back to that 10-man rotation like they did you know, in this previous game. So Dylan Brooks, for one, lengthens the bench. And let's be honest, the, the bench has been you know negative, I think, in three of the four games. Uh, so far, they're still finding their ways. I was talking to Brandon Clark after the game um, on yesterday where he was basically saying, you know, he's he's figuring some things out. There were some adjustments. But, you know, this was the first game. He had 13 points. First game, he was in double figures. First game, Brandon Clark felt like himself. So those guys are figuring it out as well. I think Tyus Jones has had his moments. But he, Tyus Jones is playing with two rookies and Brandon Clark. And now you put John Conchar, who's been, you know, one of the knockdown shooters for this team, so far this season, uh, I think that lengthens the bench and it puts them in a good spot. Yeah, no, I think it'll be very interesting. Again, you know, the Grizzlies' depth has always been one of their strengths. So I think it will be really interesting to kind of see how Dylan Brooks' return can help the Grizzlies out as they prepare for this this four-game road trip where obviously they're going to need more guys to step up because John Morant's on the tear right now and Dylan Brooks, it seems he has found his shot, as I tweeted during the game. But uh, you're going to need all hands on deck to kind of, you know, be those guys. So that way jobs that feel like he has to score 40 every night 
to give them to keep them in the hunt. But you'll take Josh Scorn for you because obviously it's it's fun to watch. So um, I think that's where we uh, where we go from here. DeMichael, anything else you need? Anything else people should look forward to with these these upcoming games? Uh, that, that pretty much hits on. I mean, we we seen the Desmond Bain breakout, right? Now, where, where does Desmond <laughs> Bain go from here? You know, is it is it Desmond Bain last year and then some? Which I think you know that this last game, the way he attacked the basket and during the preseason showed. Where does Desmond Bain go from here? What about Santi Aldama? Do we see consistency from him? Seventeen points in this last game. Uh, after the game, all the talk was about John Moran and Desmond Bain. How about those guys saying basically, look, they don't win without Santi Aldama and Steven Adams. So uh, it's all to me, it's all about the pieces around John Morant. John Morant has proven enough that he's going to give you 25, 30, 35, 40 uh, consistently. Uh, who steps up consistently around him, around Desmond Bain, and how much does that impact winning? Definitely, definitely. And again, Santi Aldama has you know shown again where he's been you know, quite helpful to this core. He's shown himself to be somebody who is going to be in this rotation one way or the other when guys get healthy. So that is definitely a positive. So I think we'll wrap up right there again. If you were at the game last night, or if you watched it on television again, savor it, cherish it. It was an historic game from a scoring standpoint, and hopefully it'll be just one of the many moments we talk about when this Grizzly season winds up, because it'll be, it, it, it was definitely one of those games that, I want to definitely remember for a while. So for DeMichael, I'm Evan. We'll be back next week to give you some more Grizzlies coverage. Stay tuned to commercialappeal.com to read more about what DeMichael is going to say about this team. And uh, enjoy your week, everyone. The Grizzlies podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.